0: well hey everybody Um, if you've been on any sort of social media or have watched the news this week uh, you probably have heard that um, Roe v Wade has been overturned this week Uh, and on as I was going through uh, social media in particular uh, obviously, there's going to be all sorts of emotion and all sorts of thoughts around that. Yep. Um, and I I just wanted to, in particular, uh, I wrote some notes down, but in particular, just even wanted to talk about it here. Uh, not at length, because we're going to go into uh, just continue on with our Nicene Creed, but in particular, just be thinking about what is What is a believer 's response, but then even what is our our kind of response, and what what are what are we thinking and what are we hoping to continually to move forward through uh, with Ecclesia City in particular? Yeah. Um, there was this particular post that I really liked, and I really just kind of want to repeat the verbs or the actions that uh, <laughs> this particular post was was sharing because I thought it really captured. Uh, what we should do, even just as a community, and what we 're going to continually do, but first, let me say this: this is uh, a, a complex uh, issue yeah. on one hand, we celebrate the fact that uh, there isn't a or what has been overturned has been a historical a historically culture of death that has mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. on the other hand, there is now uh, if you don 't feel it, I, I, I hope that one that you will yeah. feel the gravity or the weight of now what the church is stepping into yes. yeah. and what i mean by that is that for a very for 50 years now yeah. if i'm if yeah. i'm not mistaken yeah. 50 years now for 50 years the church when this uh when abortion essentially became legal the church for 50 years now has been saying we need to overturn this we need to do everything but in many ways the, the church has also uh proclaimed and uh, I would say a, a, a good majority of the church has done things or has put things in place in order to continually um, be for life and to take care of, uh, of mothers in particular who are walking through a situation where they are thinking about abortion or families that may be thinking about abortion. And so in all of that, now the church now is having to show up right? It's, we're having to show up to uh, what has been said and what has been proclaimed and in many ways what has been said uh, from the stage of, of uh, what I'm, I'm forgetting the word off the top of my head, but they have essentially come against abortion. Yep. And now that, now that abortion has been overturned by the Supreme Court, it's almost like it is, we are having to step in and show up now. The church historically has taken care of widows, orphans, yep. Those that are marginalized, those that are oppressed, uh, and we even heard some of that uh, this this past week. And if you if you weren't here, I just encourage you just to even listen to uh, the sermon on the church in particular. So moving forward, here's how uh, we would like to respond in that. Number one, we want to praise God. Okay, anytime uh, uh, cultures of death get uh, overturned, are stopped, are uh, there's a standard that is lifted up against it. We praise God because we recognize that first and foremost, it is the Lord who uh, has commanded that light be shown in places of darkness. Okay. Uh, and, and, and we are here are going to be about life. And we also want to orient our lives around every facet, not just abortion, but we're thinking about every facet where death reigns supreme. Uh, the, the the holy or the scriptures would continually ask us to be about life and so we're going to praise god for life is what we're going to do number one number two uh we ought to walk this out in love um before everyone kind of started gathering uh just really sweet times with lauren and, and the boys and and with karen because karen had res- recently moved in, in with us for a few weeks we were walking through uh, just what the scriptures would say about the mark of a christian and what we were talking about is that the mark of a christian is love um how will people know that you're a christian by your love plain and simple and so the way that we walk out love is we're we're uh I, i i really want to encourage you to not Get so involved in so many of the so much of the narrative that is going on back and forth, but that we would actually put the love that Jesus has placed in us and the example of Jesus and that we would walk that out in, in many different facets um, to get involved in the narrative of what is going on on either side or in the middle, wherever wherever it is that you stand, has a tendency to get filled with emotion. And there's so much, um, this issue is is complex that if you try to use social media as a bite-sized place to be able to articulate what it is that you believe, you're going to fail every single time. And so what we are hoping to do is to continually walk out in love. Third, we wanna commit our lives. And by commit our lives, we want to commit our lives to pray. And we want to commit our lives to action. Mm-hmm. Now, action, uh, prayer um, looks like prayer. That means that you do it personally. <laughs> we're, we're about to do it corporately. Uh, but but the point is, is that Jesus would co- continually and constantly tell us to pray. Uh, Paul says it, pray without ceasing. And prayer is going to be a continual aspect of what we do. But when we talk about action... Um, two things one you're going to encounter people that are going to um that have either gone through something like this or thinking about going through something like this or have uh something to say about what is going on and the action that we ought to step into is again going back to love we ought to love them we ought to walk with them we ought to uh uh the gospel i would always say the gospel isn't safe it's not a safe place because the gospel will consistently and constantly call us into the darkness Um, that when the the bible says that the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church Um, if you think about gates gates are defensive not offensive things so when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that means that the church is actually going against the gates of hell and the gates of hell the defensive mechanism of hell isn't able to contain the church so what what we want to do even as Ecclesia, is we're trying to uh, we commit uh, to be able to figure out uh, as we continually move forward and grow uh, we we want to commit to being about life Uh, I don't want to commit us to anything in particular right now because uh, a lot of that has to do with us doing the research to commit to work with organizations people whatever that looks like to be about life in this particular arena And then lastly, uh, we want to proclaim the gospel, Uh, and we'll talk about the gospel here uh, today in particular, but the reason why we proclaim the gospel in all of this is because Jesus is the only hope. It's the only hope that we can look forward to, and so we praise God, we want to love, we want to commit our lives, and we want to proclaim the gospel. Uh, uh, because, again, Jesus is the only hope. I do have this other particular thing, and I, I was actually thinking about this as I was communicating uh, as we were praying before this time together. Um, but there's this particular thing that uh, John Tyson, in particular, put out on how to think through complex issues. And I want to share that with everybody and maybe just have some, some um some things to say about each one of these in light of not just this situation, but as more situations come up, more complex issues come up, it gives us the ability to be able to think through it and, and not and let it not be in sound bites. But actually, how do we live this out every single day of our lives? OK, so uh, I just wanted to say that. But I do want to enter into a time of prayer uh, to pray for our nation, pray for um, uh, uh, we live in the state of Texas, and the state of Texas has historically been a a state where uh, uh, um, th- that has been conservative and the more conservative parties usually are about uh, um, banning abortion. And so I want to pray for our state. I want to pray for our city, uh, and I want to pray for us in this room. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah? we good with that. Uh, what i 'd like to do is i'd like to uh, for for me to pray. Uh, I'd like to ask maybe one other person uh, to be able to pray out loud in this time and just exercise just the gift, the the opportunity to be able to pray together. And then Lauren, if you can close this out, uh, that would be awesome. So, uh, Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to be able to come together and to really open your Word and to think about love and. Uh, And to think about your word, which in your word, uh, it is revealed to us that the reason why Jesus came down is because of love, rather. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, uh, for our nation, our our state, our city, and for us that are gathered here today. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, one, I praise you. Uh, for uh, this overturning that has happened that Lord, we, we praise you every single time, Lord. There's a victory in terms of in, in, within the kingdom of, uh, of light, Lord, a victory over darkness where we celebrate the fact that uh, life is coming to fruition. And yet we also, Lord, just sit with sobriety knowing that God in the midst of all of this, there's a weightiness that comes with this because now uh, you are calling us to act and to rise up that lord where we rose up to uh try to vote or try to proclaim or try to uh lord uh, reject even our cultural narrative of our day lord you're now calling your church to rise up and to step in and to be able to do what you have asked us to do which is a pure and simple religion is to care for orphans and the widows And so, Lord, as I think about, Lord, just even uh, this idea of the marginalized and the oppressed. Lord, I I think about even uh, just the culture of death that has been created. Lord, how sin has run rampant. Lord, we ask, one, that you would have mercy in this time. And, Lord, uh, your word says that where sin abounds, your grace abounds much more. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace uh, in this time. We ask that you would fill us with your strength and with your power to step in, to be able to love our neighbor, that we would love one another as you have loved us. And that, Lord, that we would continually commit ourselves to prayer and that we would continually commit ourselves to act, Lord, into, uh, Lord, uh, pushing darkness back and asking that heaven would invade earth. And so, Lord, we just pray to that end, and we pray that you would give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel, knowing that it is not in our strength uh, or relying on our strength for people to come to know you, but it is the work of your spirit that opens the eyes of anyone that we proclaim the gospel to so that they would respond not to our invitation, not to us, but to you. So, Lord, we pray to that end.
1: Share your truth and the wisdom of your word. Um, would we be yes. people that uh, learn the Holy Spirit and learn how, how to listen and hear and yes. allow Him to guide and direct and speak through us? Would we be people that, um, when asked a question, we're not conforming to what's around, but that we would stand bold and firm yes. and what you have spoken and what you have? Uh, put on our hearts, Lord, would we um, be bold? Yes. Yeah. Would we be bold in seeking your truth? Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Yes. Would you be near to us? Yes. Would we not speak out of turn? Would we not speak without you prompting us? Yes, God. Your, your wisdom through yes. us? Would it not be our words, but would it be, no. it be your words, straight from your truth? Yes. Give us boldness. Give us wisdom.
2: Yes, God. Father, when I think about your son, Jesus, who uh, the Savior of the world, the one who, when he came, he brought the kingdom of heaven. When I think about that, I think about that Jesus came from the womb of a woman. And when I think about our cultural day and what's happening right now where these two places of uh, the place of the womb and the place of the woman have been under such attack and confusion has been stirring in how we understand it and define it and when is it life and when is it not and when is she a woman and when is she not. There's just been so much deception that has been happening in our country and in the world at large around these two places which are the very places that Jesus, the Savior of the world, came from here on earth, was birthed from. And so, Father, we just see that. We see the work and the hand of the enemy that is trying to bring such deception and manipulation and confusion to our land. And I pray that in the name of Jesus that the bride of Christ would rise up in this time, would rise up in power and strength, would rise up out of surrender and sacrifice, would rise up with a yes in their hearts that they would be willing to do what it takes to meet the needs of our day specifically around the places of women who are having babies that they can't take care of and babies that don't have mothers or fathers to care for them would the church rise up in this day and in this hour being a beacon of light not just because of what we say and what we fight for but by what we do i pray that there would be a connection From what we believe and what we know to be true in the life of the church. And that we would walk this out with conviction and purpose and power that comes from on high. And I just think even right now about the story uh, in Matthew 25 about the 10 virgins who were waiting for the, the groom to come. And each of them grabbed their lamps. And it says that five of them were foolish and five of them were wise because the five wise women, they grabbed a jar of extra oil so that when the bridegroom came, they were ready. They were ready. They were able to have their lamp ready to go. And so I pray that the church in this hour would not be marked by foolishness, but would be marked by wisdom, that we would be people that carry jars full of oil because we are people who are surrendered and on the altar of sacrifice before the Lord, that our hearts are tethered to the presence of God, that we would be these kind of people in this hour. Give us the strength, Connect us with the right organizations, Lord. I pray that you would lead Ecclesia City specifically to places here in Dallas that are impacting this particular area um, under the banner of the kingdom of heaven. And I pray that we would be people who are willing to join forces and to come alongside with our words, our actions, our deeds, our finances, that we would be men and women of action in this time. Lead and guide us. We look to you and you alone. And we thank you and we praise you for all that you are doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining in. Thank you, Um, Jesse. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be today, uh, primarily. Uh, And then I'm going today, going to read uh, the portion of scripture. And as is our custom, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you respond with thanks be to God uh, when we're done. So Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go all the way down to uh, verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, and he says, "Uh, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to God uh, or any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, Because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, When we set out to go out on the Nicene Creed, uh, now nine weeks ago, uh, we set out uh, with two goals. And I want to consistently and constantly remind you of these two goals. Uh, This is now uh, the second to last week, or to to the last week of this. So uh, we also didn't say this. Uh, with Mel we're going to be going through the second to the last se- uh, uh, part of the series today next Sunday is Selah Sunday uh, which is July 3rd because of the July 4th holiday remember major holidays we're not going to be gathering but then the following Sunday we're going to end the Nicene Creed uh, with Jesus returning again um, so with that said today uh, uh, when we set out nine weeks ago, we set out with two goals. The first goal uh, was to continually remind ourselves of this narrative or this confession that we believe, uh, to join church history and, uh, and and recognizing that we're not alone in what we believe, but instead we're going to join in with those that preceded us and even hopefully those until Jesus returned, those that will come after us in, in confessing the same belief. So, that's what we're doing. We're joining with those that are cheering us on, uh, the, the witnesses that are in heaven saying, keep going and we're gonna join together here today and then we're gonna continually be, hopefully if, if Jesus delays, we will all be in heaven also encouraging those that are here and continuing to, en- to encourage them to keep going and confessing this belief. And then second is to uh, refute and disown the cultural narratives of our day. That try to get us to believe something that is contrary uh, to what this confession says, and even what scripture. Hopefully, you've come to see how this confession is rooted in scripture, and that scripture in itself is giving us the big narrative, and that's the narrative of, of God and the way that he has worked in and through us. And so, believing this means that we have to count the cost of what it means to believe the fundamentals that we're confessing in the Nicene Creed. And then we're put in a position uh, where we have to do something. We have to count the cost of holding these beliefs because these beliefs are much more than just a confession. They are a way of life. And in this way of life, uh, it allows us to uh, to continually and completely reject and disarm the cultural narratives that we live in. Now, let me remind you of the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD when 300 bishops came together and and one of the things on the agenda was that they were going to address what was what is now considered the Arian controversy where Arius is quoted as saying that the Father existed before the Son and there was a time where the Son did not exist and therefore the Son was created by the Father and therefore... Although the Son was the highest of all creatures, he was not the essence of God. And after debating this, Arianism was uh, rejected and the council produced this uh, this Nicene Creed that upheld the orthodox position concerning the deity of Jesus. And the crucial point was this idea on this first side here where It talks about Jesus being of one being with the Father, where he was begotten, not made. And we talked about that uh, a few weeks back. But essentially, uh, what was being debated was whether or not they should add an iota, an, uh, an I, if you will, in English. To the term, is Jesus homoousios or is he homoiousios Is he homoousios of the same essence or homoiousios of similar essence? And they landed on homoousios that Jesus is of the same essence. And then later they added the part on the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to recite the Nicene Creed to do to accomplish these two goals. And this week uh, I'll let you know what we're um, focusing in on so let's say it for the ninth week in a row nice. nicene creed ready one two three we believe in one god the father the almighty maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen we believe in one lord jesus christ the only son of god eternally begotten of the father god from god light from light he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. So this week we're going to be focusing in on uh, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, I've mentioned that I've came, I've, I came to know the Lord at the age of 12. And for me, it was rather a dramatic series of events that opened my eyes to the reality of my need for Jesus. And one of the most vivid things that I remember happening uh, to me was uh, that who I was prior to to coming to know the Lord versus who I was after, uh, were two completely different things. Meaning, uh, that before I came to know the Lord or my conversion experience, I was the kid that every parent loved to hate. Um, meaning that I was the one, I was the, I was the 12 year old who was teaching their kids how to cuss. I, I was, um, I was the one who was making fun of the kids that were weaker, that had glasses, funny, uh, or showed or made fun of them if they showed any indication of nerddom. Now, I was the kid that was, I was the kid that was, I'd like to believe that I was good at sports, that uh, the truth is, is that I ran faster than many of the kids my age Uh, in soccer. Uh, I played two divisions up because I was the tall kid for a while uh, until everybody hit the growth spurt and everybody was taller than me. Um, But during that time, I relished in that opportunity. So I thought and felt like I was the man. Um, But after coming to know Jesus, this phrase, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, became a reality. It was Overnight, truly, where I came to know the Lord and overnight, cold turkey, I stopped cussing. I stopped making fun of my friends. I actually started taking up for them. And and instead of thinking and feeling like the man, I felt my complete and total need of Jesus, recognizing that I actually wasn't everything that I was uh, saying or who I, who I was. Um, Now, the following four months proved to be controversial in my church. And the reason for that is because my church at the time had never baptized anyone that was younger than 18 years old. And so I remember at the age of 12, uh, recognizing and knowing that the Lord had completely and totally captured my heart. And there was one particular Sunday where they where where they baptized people. And it was there where I realized, dad, mom, I want to do that. I know that I need to get baptized. And uh, for, uh, it, it was controversial because they were saying, no, not, not my parents, but the pastors of the church and the deacons of that church, whom my dad was one of them, would say, no, he's too young. He hasn't gotten to the place where he's able to know right from wrong. And yet here I am at, a tw- at 12 years old knowing I'm not supposed to be teaching your kids how to cuss. Like I know the difference, <laughs> right? And so through that, um, what was essentially was said to me was, okay, if you want to do this, you're going to have to go through four weeks of intense, like, doctrine training. And if at the end of that, you can articulate to us what it is that you believe and who Jesus is and how he has changed your life, then we'll let you get baptized. And so for four weeks, uh, it was really like uh, 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 my mentor at the time and three other deacons uh, essentially came around and they were for for four hours minimum on a Sunday, uh, we would sit in a classroom and we would go through the scriptures and they would teach me. And at the end of those four weeks, I needed to articulate to them the gospel and who Jesus was. And they ended up letting me be baptized at the age of 12. Now, that's really intense and honestly that's what the church has practiced uh for centuries to be honest with you and it was actually more intense than that where they would go a year long into teaching people the scriptures and 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 doctrine before they would ever even let them be baptized and we'll we'll talk about that here in a minute but uh baptism within the life of the church Is one of the uh, is an important sacrament, and these uh, it is actually one of two main sacraments that are that is consistent across all denominational lines. Okay, the Catholics do it. So when when I say two, I'll talk about the uh, the sacrament of the the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, depending on your tradition, um, and the sacrament of baptism. The Catholics do it. The Presbyterians do it. The Methodists do it, the Lutherans do it, the Pentecostals do it, the Charismatics do it, the non-denominational ones do it, the Foursquare do it. I mean, uh, baptism, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, but baptism was even practiced not even within Christian circles, uh, but baptism is very, very important in, the, in, in, in life, I would say that. So, we won't concern ourselves during this time, uh, during this teaching time around the method that we ought to use to baptize. Should we sprinkle? Should we, should we immerse? Uh, I will say a phrase and you'll know the position that we'll have. Nor will we concern ourselves with how old you should be baptized, but we'll concern ourselves more with whether or not we are able to articulate the gospel and understand what it is that we're actually doing in baptism. Okay? Uh, but we're mainly going to talk about the pattern of baptism that we see in scripture. And the pattern uh, I put up here is the the pattern of hearing and responding to the gospel. Two, receiving the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice how I didn't say the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I said the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then third, when you... Hear and respond to the gospel. You receive the forgiveness of sins and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Participate in baptism for the inclusion into the community of faith. And that's the pattern at a high level of, that we see in scripture around baptism. Okay? Now, I want to cover this pattern by retelling the narrative of the gospel. And what we're going to be covering in particular is sin and salvation. And then we're going to end with the response to the gospel, which is baptism. Okay. So first, let's talk about sin. Uh, And the way that I want to do this, if we're going to dispel narratives, I want to talk about the narrative of the gospel. And so in the beginning, we'll start there. God created the earth. And he stepped back on the sixth day, after creating light, after creating sky, dry land, seas, plants, trees, the sun, moon, stars, the animals in the sea, and the ones that flew in the sky, the animals that lived on land, and finally humans made in his image. He stepped back and saw that uh, what that what he created was. Everybody can repeat it. Good. No, very good. <laughs> Now, notice that in this list, <laughs> notice that in this list wasn't included, uh, what wasn't included was sin. Um, instead, uh, we come to the account where we are introduced to the serpent, where Genesis 3 1 says, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And this craftiness proved to be fatal. For in the cool of the day as Adam and Eve were tending and keeping the garden they were placed in, the serpent deceived them, deceived them into eating the forbidden fruit. Now we come to find out that a few things happened when they ate the fruit that God told them to eat. First, uh, we find out that their eyes were open. Now the opening of their eyes, however, wasn't unto something that was more grand that would advance their career or make them better or more efficient at fulfilling their calling. Instead their eyes were open to the fact that they had totally and completely rebelled against God. And so what is sin? Sin is total rebellion against God. So if anybody ever says, what is the definition of sin? Sin is total rebellion against God. So when we say, are there little white sins? The answer to that is no. Is one sin greater than the other? The answer to that is no. Why? Because what is sin? Sin is total rebellion against God. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. which is very paradoxical to what you're saying is it's total rebellion. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to people that would say, oh, sin is just kind of missed it?
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, great question. There are a lot of pastors uh, that say that sin is missing the mark. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is very much an aspect of sin that if you want to talk about uh, we're going after the target and if the target is trying to be like Jesus, um, then, then any time we sin, it is missing the mark. I do think that that, in, that, that is a, uh, a watered-down definition yeah. of sin, just to be completely honest. Yeah. Uh, because when we talk about uh, the holiness of God, mm-hmm. uh, we recognize that the holiness within the holiness of God, there is no sin yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And so it's not a missing of the mark. Now, uh, we will get in here a little bit on... Uh, Sin in particular, and like the outworkings of that so but but just to be completely upfront, sin is total rebellion, not, and in that it encompasses missing the mark, but, but it's it's more than that yeah. yes That's
2: great. That's great.
0: That's thanks for that question. Mm-hmm. now, um, what sin it means then is that we take God's word and rather than believing it and doing it. We treat it as a suggestion and choose instead to act in our own way, which is why rebellion is the word that is in there. Yeah. Uh, It means that we take God's word and rather than believing it and doing it, we treat it as a suggestion and choose instead to act our own way.
2: Yes.
0: So... Here's the interesting thing about Genesis 3 is that scripture uh, alludes to the fact that Eve was presented with the temptation. No. And it wasn't just the temptation of eating the fruit and becoming like God, it was also that the fruit she saw was good, that it was pleasing, and that it was des- desirable. Now, say law this moment right here. Because uh, prior to actually giving into sin humanity, i.e. Adam and Eve, uh, they were able to recognize goodness, pleasure, and, and desire. So, uh, uh, but when seen outside of God's intentional design, we get it twisted. Tragedy strikes. We see that Romans 6 23 says that the wages of sin equals is death so uh, i want us to stop there because 623 actually has the gospel in it but i want us to dwell on that for a little bit that where where it says uh, where romans 623 says the wages of sin is death that which you get paid for when you sin The currency of sin, if you will, is death, not life. And according to Romans and even what we see in Genesis, it is at this point where everything began to spiral into the grave. Humanity begins their descent into physical, moral, and spiritual decay the very thing that the crafty serpent said would not happen when he told Eve, you will not certainly die. <laughs> okay. Wild and free. There you go. Um, sorry, I lost my place here. <laughs> yeah, the very thing that the crafty serpent said would not happen when he told Eve, you will certainly not die, certainly did happen. Now, even though... He told the half-truth, because half-truth are lies or sin uh, that don't give you the final outcome in its totality. They, they didn't, uh, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead instantly, right? So if, Jesus, if God said, you shall surely die, and here's the serpent saying, you certainly will not die, when they ate of the fruit, they didn't immediately drop dead. So what happened? The worst type of death actually happened. A steady, slow, brutal, painful separation from God and a twisted misappropriation of his goodness, of his pleasure, of his desire was all done now in hiding. They realized their shame. Their eyes were open to their shame and they attempted to hide from God. Now, scripture tells us in Titus 3.3, it says, We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is gruesome. We uh, uh, here Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying we were foolish. We were disobedient we were deceived and were enslaved to passions and pleasures that had gotten twisted. And without the proper application of redemption, which is, anybody know what the proper application of redemption is? Anybody? Something had to die. Blood had to be shed. We were destined to experience the full wrath of God. Namely, that we're forever separated from God. You see, the torment of hell is not the flames that are constantly burning. The torment of hell is that you're no longer able to communicate with the loving God that is slow to anger and compassionate and, st- and, and abounding in steadfast love. Instead, he has now completely and totally cut you off from that, from that goodness. So, thank you. So, namely, that we're forever separated from God, where we hide from him, and so what happens is, is that we allow sin to reign. Yeah. By reign, I'm not talking about the water that falls, but I'm talking about the, the ruling of sin over us. Now, notice how I did say that we, or even Paul says that we were destined and foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved. These are all, this, this is all past tense. Because there was an ultimate, once and for all, proper application of redemption. Remember when we talked about the proto-euangelion? What is that?
2: Miriam
0: Webster. Yes, Yes. Ashley. If I remember correctly, Ashley tried it last time and didn't get it right. No shame. But today she she got it right. right. The first... Proto-Evangelion means the first gospel. You see, it was, it was in Genesis 3, this exact scene when everything was broken, where this, this, the, the gruesomeness of sin entered into the world where the first gospel was proclaimed. God turns to the serpent after deceiving God's creation, and he pronounces the judgment on the serpent, on Satan, in Genesis 3.15. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Salvation for humanity, God's creation, was the outcome. So what was the outcome of Adam and Eve falling into sin? It was God stepping in and pronouncing a judgment on the serpent that had deceived him. And the judgment was, you're going to be crushed. As a matter of fact, and let me blow your mind here, Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God chose us or chose this outcome in particular in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Think about that for a little bit. That God chose us in him, chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. He chose the outcome and the outcome was for us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And how did he do it? He did it in love. How do we know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And this love was there from the very beginning and he did it before the creation of the world. So this means that he came and found us out of hiding. What was the first question that he ever asked man? Anybody know? Where, where are you? Where are you at? Yeah. <laughs> where are you at? Where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where they were. Right. <laughs> he looked beyond our twisted misappropriation of his goodness, pleasure and desire and he looked at us in our physically morally and spiritually decaying faces and he says, I desire you. Yeah, well. Wow. Yes. Um, but um do you believe that you can ever lose your salvation? Great question. Um I know that's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. Uh according to scripture <sighs> Oh man. According to scripture, uh, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Uh, that's, that's Romans also talking about there. I think that uh, we have gotten things wrong in that, or let me actually back up. If we believe that we can lose our salvation, then we also have to believe Hebrews. When Hebrews says that if we turn away, we can no longer come back. Because therefore, we would need to crucify Jesus all over again. Okay? So, in this, I think that there is a mystery here, uh, first and foremost. And the mystery is that at the end of the day, what allows people to know that you have been saved is the, pers- is the perseverance that you will have, that when Jesus returns, are you, still, are you still giving your life completely and wholly to him or not? Okay? And so that's how I'd like to answer that question right now. Meaning, I don't know who is and who is not truly saved. I I can I can look at you based off of your fruit whether or not you are or are not. However, when we get to when Jesus comes back, that is going to be the true and the ultimate revealer because who knows the condition of a man's heart? Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when he comes back, those that are his, if we've died, those that are dead in Christ will rise first. And we who remain will be caught up in the sky with him. And that's how we will know. Now, scripture does tell us, though, that we people will know us by our fruit. And if we're continually increasing in the fruit of the spirit, then you can rest assured that you are saved. Is what I'll say. Now. Here's. The second thing I'll say, uh, there's some level that we have to walk in uh, compassion and awareness. I walk in compassion knowing that every single one of us has maybe a family member that grew up in church and has known about Jesus. And at some point maybe was living and are no longer living there. And the prayer is always going to be, Lord, that you would capture their heart. So I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. We're called to pray yep. and we're called to enter in yeah. with compassion. We're called to draw them unto the Lord rather than say, No, you've already rejected them. There remains no more remission for sins. I think the theology is there to be able to say that. But at the same time, there's this compassion that Jesus would ask us to walk in to continually proclaim the gospel. So the answer to your question is Jesus knows. And we can get into a longer conversation around that later. Yes? Is that good? Okay.
2: You're not the only one. I scratched the surface on this too. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Thank you for asking. And I, I want to I take time to be able to do that. Um, okay. So what God did in the garden is that he looked at uh, Adam and Eve. And even though he pronounces judgment over them, he didn't completely and totally leave them. He he clothed them, wow. and he said uh, he didn't use these words, but essentially what he was saying is, "I love you, I desire you, and I'm coming for you." Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I do want to tell this story. Uh, this week, uh, I was at Costco during my normal Wednesday routine of going grocery shopping. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. I love Costco. Uh, <laughs> That's where I spend time with the Lord, believe it or not. <laughs> now, as I was uh, loading the groceries in my, in my car, uh, I was listening in particular to a sermon where a pastor was uh, essentially just, just telling a story about a man who took a 30-day um, uh, silent retreat. And, and at the beginning, the spiritual director that was, that was encouraging him to do this Said For the next 30 days, I want you to um, meditate on Song of Solomon 710, where uh, uh, Solomon says, or in there it is written, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Now, I honestly didn't hear the rest of the sermon after that, because uh, in that precise moment where I heard this phrase, a flood of memories began to hit me like a freight train. And the memories were that I saw uh, little Johnny uh, sitting in his room asking, does anyone love me? And then I saw uh, preteen Johnny wondering if he would ever be married or if loneliness would be his constant companion. And I saw teenage Johnny Uh, seeking love while simultaneously playing uh, with the hearts of his girlfriends. And then I saw 20-something Johnny that was silently wondering if I was desired. And I saw Johnny today thinking uh, that there was always something more that I needed to do in order to gain uh, the love and approval of the ones that I loved. And like the silent whisper of my wife, uh, my lover. <laughs> the Lord met me and said, I desire you. And just like that, I understood the love of the Father uh, that initiated it. The joy of Jesus that was set before him. The power of the Holy Spirit that sealed it. And I understood that salvation was to restore It's okay. Don't worry. He's okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) you're okay. Don't worry. Um, I understood there in that particular moment that salvation. In particular was to restore a deep loving holy even naked relationship with god where we walk together in the cool of the day and there was no more hiding why because the cross has outed me and it was there in that particular moment where i realized and what became real was like uh this idea that i'm dead to sin and that i respond to this good news and 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 in that response, I'm recognizing in that moment that for 37 years, I had only heard. I like I've known this, but now I'm finally seeing it. And my trip from Costco all the way down to the next grocery store that I was going to was literally like me driving, barely being able to see the road off of 75 because I'm like wiping tears. And uh, I had paused the sermon, and I'm just saying to the Lord, Lord, for. 37 years there's this constant reminder that has been that that has been in my head saying does anyone desire me and here's Jesus in that particular moment saying I desire you and so when I read Romans 6 today where Paul then goes into and he says uh, I want to read uh, through verse uh, five, what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin who, uh, how can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too may live a new life For if we've been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, Paul just got done, and I'm going to try to go through this a little bit fast, but Paul just got done talking about the life that was brought through Christ, and he contrasted it to the death and sin that entered the world through Adam. He stated that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And anyone reading that would ask, Paul, are you saying that we then ought to keep sinning and sinning more at that so that we can see the grace of God increase? And so he begins chapter 6 to where he asked this question and he emphatically replied, no, by no means. Instead, he is saying that because Jesus died, we have been made righteous and therefore we're dead to sin. Sin does not reign in us. And as a matter of fact, we've died to sin. We have buried the, the, the steady, slow, brutal, painful separation from God and the twisted misappropriation of his goodness, of his pleasure, and of his desire. And we've also buried the hiding And we no longer need to worry because he sees us. We can live free being fully known, fully accepted, fully desired, and fully satisfied in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's similar to whenever Jesus met Nicodemus. In John 3, and they began to talk about, uh, and Nicodemus was just so concerned about, how do I follow Jesus, and how do I belong in the kingdom? And Jesus told old Nick, Nick, (laughs) you need to be born again. Mm -hmm. Now put yourself in that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, and Jesus tells you, you need to be born again. Don't separate yourself from Nicodemus in that moment, because just like Nicodemus, I can imagine or just like us, I can imagine Nicodemus's face dropping and like looking at Jesus like uh, like, you know, cocked eyed and saying, what do you mean? Right. How can and, and he actually asked Jesus the question, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. (laughs) and so here Paul is saying something similar and he's saying you're dead to sin and now I know what you're saying and it's similar to old Nick (laughs) how can I die and not be physically buried in a grave and even if I was physically buried in a grave how do I resurrect when I'm physically six feet under the ground that question is not any different than Nicodemus's when Jesus told him you need to be born again. So Paul answers that question in verse four. Verse four says, we were therefore buried in him through baptism into death in order that uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism or baptisma. Here's my phrase. You ready? Means to dip in or under, to dye, as in dye a shirt. To immerse, to sink. Like when you dye a shirt. Like uh, I know you. Your eyes frown, Like, like. Dye, like tie dye. Like yeah, tie, tie dye. dye. Uh. When you you, like you tie. Clothes? You. You have to put the whole thing in in order to tie dye it. Uh, okay. your shirt is black because it was dyed in, bl- like it was dipped in black ink Got it. Okay. to immerse, to sink and it's regularly used within religious practice and it isn't just relegated to the Christian faith and here Paul is drawing a direct correlation between the waters of baptism and the grave and he goes on in verse 5 saying if we have been united with him in death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Meaning that baptism is the act, is the practice of going into the grave as we are immersed in water. And as we rise back up out of the water, it is us uniting ourselves with Jesus's resurrection And if this isn't, uh, this is just a little tidbit and this is free. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born of the water and the spirit, when you come out of that water, it is also the sign of you being uh, that just as life passes through water as in birth to give forth life. So passing through back up through the water is a symbol of new life entering into the kingdom of God. That was free. Because we no longer have to hide from God. We do this openly then to announce to the world that we've been redeemed by God in love. And then we're joining in to God's kingdom uh, because we're no longer hiding from God. We, We do this openly to announce to the world that we've been redeemed by God. And now we're openly also saying, I'm part of this family now. I'm part of this kingdom now. And we're uh, joining with the other members to proclaim his goodness, his pleasure, his desire for us. What we once got twisted is now redeemed. And so then our response after being baptized, then people, uh, that there is this common now narrative that is starting to uh, uh, gain prominence. And that is uh, your spirituality should be private, not something public. But yet Jesus here is saying, therefore, go and make disciples. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we take what Jesus has done for us, how he has loved us, how he has redeemed us, and we ought to tell or teach others to do the same. And so... When we get baptized, we're disowning the narratives that we have once lived under and we're publicly announcing, just like we've been doing with the Nicene Creed, that we've been given a new life and we'll be living under the narrative of the kingdom of God and not only to announce it, but to do it. Now, let me answer some pretty practical questions and then we'll end. We believe here in believers baptism which means that we baptize those who make a profession of faith in jesus because they heard of their need for him are forgiven of their sins are sealed with the holy spirit and respond to make the public declaration that they are alive in christ through baptism and i believe that uh and we want to believe that that does not have an age that's associated to it, but it has an understanding that is associated to it. Okay? And then uh, after baptism, we believe that we are dead to sin. Meaning we're dead to sin's reign and mastery in our lives and that we are now in glad submission to the reign of God because I want to end by finishing the quote of Romans 6.23. We said earlier that the wages of sin is death and here's how I want to lead us into communion. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his gift. And so when we think about the proper appropriation of redemption in our lives, it is that Jesus Jesus, Jesus's body was broken, and that His blood was shed for us. We had this interesting conversation this week, and uh, it, and I know Lauren and Mel won't mind, but when we talked about the gospel this week, one of the things that uh, we were talking about is that there is this base this understanding i'm not gonna call it a basic because it's not a basic understanding but it is this understanding that the gospel is simply relegated to jesus's death on the cross his life and his death and his resurrection and although that is true the truth is, is that the gospel is much more than that. And I want us to get a robust view that when I say the gospel, it's not just talking about the life of Jesus and 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 what he accomplished and how he rose from the dead, but it's also now that he's calling us into the world to be these proclaimers and these these carriers of truth that are going in and saying Jesus is better. Yeah. And so What we are doing anytime we baptize or even when we take communion in communion, we're joining with the community and we're saying we believe our lives revolve around this gospel because Jesus has told us when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup that we would remember him and what he has done. And so we're practicing that in communion and in baptism, what we're doing is that we're proclaiming and saying, I'm no longer my own. I belong to Jesus. I'm a new creation and therefore I'm going to live according to his kingdom. And that's what we're doing. And so when we participate in communion, I want to participate in that. And since we're running a little bit late, what we'll do, or a little bit over, what we'll do is, um, Mel, if you can just pray for us over and, and, and dismiss us in that way. And then we can um, go on to the next thing. But I don't want you to eat this in haste. That's what I don't want. And the desire is that, that we not eat it in haste. Instead, that we would take time to really think about the, the salvation that God has brought on us and our response to that. Mm-hmm. And I th- believe everyone in here has been baptized. Yes? Yes. I, think yes. I just texted my mom. I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> no, like, no, i, I remember, I'm glad. I remember like, I don't know where we're approaching on time, but I like, recall it. Yeah. But I just texted her. I was like, when was I baptized? I I remember, but I just. Well, I will say if you haven't, or, uh, there is an opportunity to be baptized again with a greater understanding. If, if for whatever reason your baptism, and I was going to say this regardless of what you just said, but if for whatever reason your baptism was something that you're like, I don't really remember it being that way. And I, I just want to get re-baptized. There there's nothing wrong with that, okay? And so we can definitely schedule a time to do that. Luckily, we got a pool. We can go to the lake. We can do whatever yeah, to be able to Ooh. drop you down and, uh, so that you can be a new creation. Perfect. And so, Lord, we just say thank yes. you for your goodness, for your grace, and for your salvation and your mercy. And, Lord, as we take of this bread and drink of this cup, that we would come to see you and know you, In a whole new life. And so, Lord, I just pray that I take these elements and, and, Lord, we dedicate them to you. What to us seems like as a simple piece of bread and a drink of this cup. But, Lord, to you, you said, Do this every time you gather together in remembrance of me. And so we remember you this morning or this evening. So, Holy Spirit, Search us. And if there, any, if there be any grievance, any, any sin that is grievous to you, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and draw us closer to you, that we would repent and take part. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you're ready.